This is episode one of Powered by Play, and we're going to try to give you a little introduction to ourselves and to the podcast and why we love these things that we talk about. So what is this show about? This show is going to be us exploring how we play and how we play with others and how others play. We're going to use a wide definition of play on this show. We're going to talk about things like board games and card games and video games. We're going to talk about escape rooms and also things like cat cafes, fantasy football, and sports, and all kinds of other things. So why are we called Powered by Play? Well, we chose this title because play is a powerful cultural and intrinsic phenomenon that empowers us to take agency, to learn about power dynamics, and to see what you can do when you experiment and try something out. It's how we feel fulfillment, can feel that sense of purpose, potentially. Uh, we can learn through play, we can connect with others, and thus all of this kind of encapsulates a feeling of empowerment through the form of play. And also hoping that we can challenge modern power dynamics through our usage of play as well. Alrighty, Drew, press play. There are two of us, and we are hosting this podcast from two different places in the United States, and I suppose we better introduce ourselves. So, my name is Drew Chapel, and I would call myself a relatively cis man of European heritage. I belong to Gen X, and so for all my Gen Xers out there, thank you for listening, and I hope I'll throw out some references that'll make you smile. I'm also the father of a 16-year-old girl, and I live with my partner, walking distance from where I work, which is Chapman University in Orange County, California. I am, yeah, woohoo! Uh, go Panthers! I am assistant professor of theater here at Chapman, and I teach foundational classes like theory and criticism, and I also teach specialty courses in theater for social change, teaching methods in drama, and my I want to talk about my grandmother a little bit because she was kind of the basis for a lot of me getting interested in play when I was a kid. She was a travel agent, and I inherited her love of travel as well as her love of playing games. Um, when I travel, I enjoy watching everyday life wherever I go, talking to people, and going to cafes, going to bookstores, going to any place in the street where kids are playing and watching them. I have a lifelong love, a lifelong love of fantasy and science fiction, and I would say my primary fandoms these days are probably Avatar, The Last Airbender, and Bridgerton, and Stranger Things, but I am always right there with Star Wars and Star Trek, Lord of the Rings and Narnia, Disney, Lego, Marvel and DC, D&D, and musical theater. And I also have a deep interest in history and culture and the faith systems of the world. It's about everything that's human, I would say, brings out my curiosity. So that's me. 
I'm Avery. I actually studied under Professor Chapel back during my undergrad. I'm an Asian American non-binary person. I'm a professional scenic designer for the theater who wrote my undergrad thesis on designing agency in video games, um, which you, Drew, know a lot about because you also mentored me on that project. I also love people watching. I totally grew up and with my dad who would just uh, walk around a big event. Like my first time that he let me loose at the Orange County Fairgrounds, I was just mesmerized by all the sights and people that I could just see. Just walking through, you can just notice new things about families and people and the way they dress and what they might be thinking. And I've also always been very imaginative anyway. I grew up loving to draw and paint and fold origami. I loved reading those fantasy adventure espionage kind of stories. Um, and I also always played a lot with my siblings too. So I'm the middle child, so I got the best of all the worlds. And um, we would play Nintendo 64, like Super Mario, and we'd play lots of board games. And my older sister, she was the one who was always like explaining the rules. And I was always just like, whenever we got a new board game, we would just like hand the instruction manual to her and she would just be like, all right, here's how you play. Um, and she still does that to this day. She's still always the designated rule describer. Um, yeah, I love roleplay video games, um, like um, ones that have stories and are kind of like single player. I'm not really into competitive ones where you have to like compete against other people online. Um, and I'm really passionate about arts education and learning more about the world um, and enhancing what we have in the world through the arts. And I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Great to have you, Avery. I knew we had to do this. As soon as I knew that you were getting ready to go on to, you know, bigger and better things after graduation, I thought, we have to start this now. Um, and I guess one of the things I think that people often ask is, what makes something playful? How do you define play? And although it can be challenging, I think both of us have had to do it. Um, and my first answer would be that play has to be, has to contain something like pleasure or joy. And I don't know that I would keep playing something if I wasn't enjoying it. Even if, say, I was sewing something for cosplay and it hurt my hands or kept me up late at night and the joy wasn't there in that moment, I think at the end I would find the joy in finally putting it on. When's the um, last time that you've played a game that you didn't enjoy? Oh man, if if you if you hear my friend Matthew tell the story, I was playing a really heavy board game called Weather Machine, and it was just too much for me. I it got on top of me, and I spent seriously, Avery. I spent like an hour setting up this one combination. And then, because of the way that the luck played out in how the kind of bot moved around who activated certain actions, missed my timing, and I was not... So I had, like, two points, and my friend Matthew had around 30, and I think my friend Christian had around, like, 10. And I just went, guys, I don't know what I'm doing. Please take over for me. I am, I am getting frustrated right now. 
There's this, Avery, have you heard the term table flipping? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The yeah. first time that I learned about that was probably in like the early 2010s. It's like a, it's like you could type it into, there's like an emote for it. It's like a, oh, is there? a TT, a slash, slash, a parentheses, and like a, it'll, oh, yeah. anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure someone out there I, knows. I don't know that I've ever literally flipped a table, like, you know, tossed a board game off the table, um, or done a table swipe, where I've swept every, all the components off the table, but man, there's sometimes I understand why people would do that. Um, but, yeah, so, I think, sometimes the joy in a game is just finishing a game, Avery, you know? Whatever happens, it's kind of like, okay, I did that, ready to move on. The first time that I played the Pandemic board game... Oh, um, yeah. It was, it was my sister explaining it with me and, like, you know, some other people, and I could just, I could not understand it for a while. There were just too many words, cards, pictures, colors, um... She, you know, she was really uh, invested in it and able to, like, have the fun. I don't know. I just couldn't have the fun. And um, I just kind of went through the motions. Like, I I kind of went through the motions and, like, told asked other people, like, what should I do now? And, um, okay, cool. Tell me how to play. And I was just, I just kind of, like, went through the game and then was glad that it was over. But in terms of being playful overall, I would say that that sense of intrinsic reward is something that is always a part of playfulness, I think. And, mm -hmm. um, and maybe the reward is like pleasure, joy, having fun, um, or challenging your decision-making or learning a new skill or connecting with other people. Like there's always, there should be something in this activity of playfulness that you, you would like from it which is a little different from materialistic rewards in terms of money or fame or, like, having survival. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's also, like you said, there's a lot of joy in the completion of and the journey of the act as well. I don't, I don't know if... What was that board game that you mentioned? It was called Weather... Oh, it was called Weather Machine. Weather Machine. I don't know, would mm -hmm. you ever try it again and see I if... I don't you think so. I, th I think there... I th Some games you want to try again and you want to say, okay, I'm going to go for mastery here, right? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get better at this. But, Avery, there are so many good games to play. And it's kind of like... I, I think there are other games that I will invest in more than that particular one. Mm -hmm. And Matthew, if you're listening, thank you for trying. And I, I, I appreciate you bringing Weather Machine and teaching me and Christian how to play it. And I, I know that I made up for it by investing in other games that you taught after that one. You got to see what happens. And that's kind of the point. You get to like, you get to try something out and see what happens. Well, what would yeah. you say... How would you define the opposite of play? Well, it's tough. I mean, I most people say work, right? Mm -hmm. And this is really interesting. And I think we talked about this when you were working on your project, I think. It's like the Puritan dichotomy. Work is work and play is play and never the twain shall meet. Mm -hmm. It's this very Victorian also... Um, you it's it's time to work now anything that's playful you have to put away and even in my grandparents generation which was the world war ii generation 
it, it was very carved out for them what you did during work and then what you did when you came home. Um, my grandfather golfed a lot. That was play. He watched sports. That was play. My He and my grandmother played bridge a lot and taught me how to play. I'll probably talk about that in a little bit. Um, but there wasn't... First of all, there wasn't the internet at work, and so you couldn't be playful at all during work unless you were talking to someone who worked in the office. And that barrier has become, I think, more permeable. What do you think? My instinct would always be to say play or work is the opposite of play. There's different spheres that society has created for us in the world where some things are serious and some things are playful. Mm. And the serious things are kept serious because it keeps out the play. At a funeral, it's a tradition. It's a tradition of wearing black, um, of inviting family members, of giving little speeches, of having flowers, not breaking out into hysterical laughter during the funeral, yeah. going to the workplace, there's always, I don't know, I've had a lot of jobs where I have so much fun when I work. Part of it is definitely being an arts person, is that I worked at like a couple of escape rooms yeah. where we do get to be playful with our customers and kind of like mess around with them and scare them and spook them um, and, <laughs> and, and like have our job be to let them be playful. Um, but, you know, we also have a level of professionalism, too, in that, like, if I'm running a group at an escape room, I can't just completely go off the rails and, like, break the rules of my my employer's code of conduct either, right? So, like, I have, there are rules for me when I'm working at an escape room versus there, there are rules when I'm playing an escape room, too. Um, and I think rules are definitely a part of systems of play as well as systems of seriousness i think a really good question is what are those rules trying to facilitate in work it seems like they're trying to facilitate productivity getting something done and in play you're still trying to be productive you're still trying to get something done whether it has material value or monetary value is different but okay so i was watching ted lasso last night and there's some play that does generate monetary value the guys the footballers they will get paid for the play that they engage in even the playfulness if you want to take a meta level even the playfulness of recording an episode of ted lasso and being playful in the way that the actors portray their characters and things there's monetary value at the moment of recording we are currently in a writer's strike and also a SAG after strike. So there are writers and performers who are all playful people. And in fact, you might be able to say that they play for a living. And yet the monetary value is now coming under scrutiny. Though work and play barriers and boundaries kind of getting broken down a little bit. Although you're right, the arts have always been this way. So how would you describe the line between play and the rest of life? Great question. I think I'm still working on this, Avery. There are times when play is very specifically defined. When I sit down to play a game, 
or when I play Exploding Kittens with my daughter, for example. You know, you're, you're going to start the game, play the game, and finish the game, put the cards away, and maybe go and make something for dinner. So sometimes the boundaries are very clearly there, and sometimes the boundaries are just whatever you are feeling like the boundaries are. For example, if I'm teaching a class, I might get inspired to talk about some silly thing from my day that has something, anything to do with the curriculum that we're talking about. And that, although it's not perhaps play, it is certainly playful. So there's some connection between play and creativity or being playful and being creative. And improv, trying to... I love improv. I know, I know. I've never been very good at it in sort of the classic improv sense. Me neither. I tried it I tried it in high school because I loved it, but I just couldn't deal with getting put on the spot like that. I know, that. neither could I. All the times in my life that I have laughed the hardest, many of them have been at improv shows. Yeah. There's something about the spontaneity and the zaniness that it's kind uh -huh. of like a chemical reaction that can only happen right in front of you. Absolutely. What about um, being voluntary, Avery? Being voluntary or being compelled? Well, first, I actually want to address one thing that you said earlier about like putting the cards away. It just sparked oh, okay. a memory in me of having to yeah. put away the cards after you finish playing a game and being a little kid and not wanting to because that was work. You had to clean up. You had to clean up the mess that you made. Yes. That's not fun, but we had to do it anyway. And sometimes there were consequences of like parents yelling at us or... Um, or other siblings, other teammates yelling at us like, hey, come on, help clean up, you know, like the, the team regarding, regarding that. That's just yeah, like yeah. a memory that you sparked. What was the, what, what did you ask? What about being voluntary versus right, being right. compelled? There have been some times where I was, I kind of had to play with my siblings or when, even when my parents would go, we went to like a lot of um, Buddhist temples growing up and there would often be like other families and their kids are there and of course our parents look at the other kids and they're like oh they're the same age as you avery go play with them oh yeah <laughs> and it's funny because in the vietnamese language um they're they have like a a subjective pronoun system so basically my parents would say uh, which means go play with your friend but literally mm. like they're just using that pronoun because that's like how the pronoun works like bang means friend but me you know being raised in america i'm like they're not my friend i don't know them mm. how am i gonna go play with them what do you want me to do what do you want me to say you can't just point at someone and tell me to go play with them um <laughs> And that was, yeah, that didn't feel very playful for me because somebody was telling me what to do. I mean, maybe maybe if I were a different kid, I could have gone over to them and be like, sure, let's, like, this sounds great. Hello, let's, let's play some imagine stuff. I don't know. It's just different because I, I, I didn't want to just, I didn't want to just talk to a stranger. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> But there's there's something about um, a hook in play, um, like 
there are some games that are challenging enough that it keeps you coming back for more. And yeah. it that's kind of the situation with things like Mario, where the levels are increasingly difficult, and yet there's almost something about wanting to complete the game that's actually involuntary. It's true. And a lot of apps are set up to keep you coming back because of these sort of phantom rewards, right? You get false coins or stars or something like that, and then that will help you as you move on to the next level. It's almost like a, a carnival game, because I am pretty sure that some games that are app-based are not going to let you complete a level unless you actually pay for the thing that you would need to complete the level, which normally you could do if you simply spend enough time. But sometimes it almost seems impossible, like trying to climb that ladder in a carnival game, right? That's just not going to let you back to the OC fair, Avery. <laughs> that's going to flip over and dump you on the ground before it'll let you climb to the yeah, top and win the prize. It's actually designed to make you lose and keep trying. Absolutely. Yeah. My first experience with those online games was Farmville on Facebook. Did you ever play Farmville? I think I tried it a little bit at one point, yeah. <laughs> I created an account on Facebook before I was 13. I definitely lied that I was 13. Oh, and I know. Confession time. I know. I hate that I'm admitting this on the internet because maybe I'll get arrested. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to A, send pokes to my friends and B, play Farmville. Ah, nice. And they had, they, they have like an energy system, which is a lot of modern mobile games do now, is that there's that energy bar, right? The energy bar and you can only water a certain amount of crops or you can only harvest a certain amount of trees. And then once the energy runs out, you have to wait. You have to wait for it to refill or you oh, can yeah. pay it like you can use real money to pay for gems and skip that waiting time doesn't that sound great and i i never spent real life money on like those kinds of mobile games because i was smart ish but it's it's a clever <laughs> scheme because it clearly works it does and i think that's still sort of how they operate they're still kind of holding something above your head and saying you can wait for this or you can have it now. Delayed gratification may be something that Americans are not too great at. Especially nowadays with everything being instantly available, pretty much. You need a piece of information? Just hop on your phone and get it. You need some Gatorade because you're not feeling well? Okay, yes, I am speaking from experience right now. Hop on Amazon and put it in your cart and it'll get there in a couple hours. So waiting, perhaps, is something that we're not as used to as generations mm. were before. Can we talk about books for a second? Because we can definitely talk <laughs> about books. When I was a kid, I devoured books. I took them from the library, the school library, the public library, whatever. I inhaled it through my eyes and I returned those books and I got more ones. And nowadays, I read maybe a book a month if any and i have to actively try i have to actively make myself read and i still you know love it and i'm like dang i should read more whenever i read a book and 
it's really hard for me to read nowadays because oh, there yeah. is the internet. There is streaming at your fingertips. There are tons of video games in at my at my fingertips too. And my phone and social media and the Nintendo Switch. You can take that everywhere. Why would you take a book with you when you can take your Nintendo Switch with you? Not sponsored by Nintendo, <laughs> but there are Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> there are so many alternatives to the slow burn that is reading and i am trying to i'm trying to read again i've been slowly working at it but it's an active effort it's like an uphill battle yeah no i found that as well i'm i'm working my way through the first dune novel right now because in part two is coming out and i need to make sure that i have that book read by the time the movie comes out but reading is just constant decoding, and it's not visual like Nintendo Switch game or even kind of looking at something online where you have something besides text to kind of pay attention to. It is just straight up decoding. And I think I, I read something somewhere, and now I'm going to be accused of not being a great scholar because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this very nebulous. I read something somewhere, oh, no. but it's true. I read something somewhere oh, no. <laughs> about, about reading being one of the hardest things to sort of teach your brain to do. And the decoding, the linguistic decoding or the symbology that is involved in learning to read really high level and we teach kids at a very early age to start but it is certainly so much more effort brain effort than sitting down and and choosing your mario kart and thinking how am i going to get through this level what is the roadway doing okay i have to shift this way because the roadway is doing this mm. so i'm not surprised that reading is kind of, I don't want to say falling out of fashion or anything like that, but perhaps not being chosen as quickly as other playful activities. We do, I mean, we have to read all the time, Avery. You know, we're, we're reading in order to make this podcast and make sure that everything is lined up and stuff like that. And so there's a whole lot more reading to do now than just reading books. I think it's important to also clarify for our listeners, too, that reading is a form of play. In my mind growing up, whenever yes. I read um, Percy Jackson or The Magic Treehouse, shout out to that! I oh, was yeah. obsessed with those yes. books. And it was, well, specifically even Magic Treehouse and Percy Jackson, th those specific ones were... Um, like magical realism and I learned about Greek mythology and then Magic Treehouse taught me about literally everything. They they covered so much. Mary Pope Osborne. Yep. What an interesting time. Um, like riding with dolphins, going with dinosaurs, oh, yeah. having fun with ninjas, being spies. Well, I don't think they were spies, actually. Maybe they were. I don't know. Saving saving the world. Jack and Annie, yeah, I'm sure, were spies. I, I would at love one like point. a edgy like adulthood Jack and Annie like th spy thriller. They would totally that would totally Ooh, be nice. Cool. And my favorite part about books was that 
once I finished the book, I had a whole world in my imagination. I had all these memories, of, though I had gone with the characters themselves. I was... I was... I, w I was empowered and I had something in my imagination enhanced through the words off the page. So just a reminder to people out there is that just because something is not a game does not mean that it is not inherently playful. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember back in Gen X, we had choose your own mm, adventure books, yeah. which are now kind of called game books under a broad umbrella because not all of them are specifically the choose your own adventure brand. But man, Avery, those things were like life-changing. They really were. And figuring out, oh, I can kind of control the narrative here. I can try something. I can rehearse something by reading a book, see if it works. Oh no, I fell in a pit and died. I better go back and rehearse a different choice and see where that takes me. It was freeing, I think, for kids back then to see that you, and, it, and they were written in the second person, you, you do this, you do that. What do you do? And that, I mean, talk about immersion. That brought me right in and helped me figure out I am a part of this world instead of... I, lo I love Magic Treehouse, too. I read them to my daughter for a long time. And instead of kind of Jack and Annie and thinking, oh, no, Annie, don't do that right now. You really shouldn't talk to that person. It was you, the reader, Trying to figure out, should I talk to this person? And a really good kind of entry point to old-school role-playing games, RPGs. And I think the step from Choose Your Own Adventure to Dungeons & Dragons was really, really easy. That's like a pipeline. The Choose Your Own Adventure to D&D pipeline. <laughs> yep, and then D&D to video games, or D&D to escape rooms, or D&D to... Big board games like Arkham Horror, for example. Yeah, I know, absolutely. What other kinds of play did you start with? So you said Choose Your Own Adventure, and then what other foundational parts of your life are there? Oh, let's see. I played a lot of games with my sister and my cousins, games like Clue, The Game of Life. Friends, some friends would have board games that they would bring in. They would maybe get them as a birthday present or something like that, like uh, Stratego was a big one. And so I would play those games with my friends and try and learn, oh, how do I get better at this? Or just turn the game into something else. Sometimes Clue became stories about Miss Scarlet meeting Mr. Green in the library and having a chat about how they suspected Mrs. Peacock, those kinds of things. So the game didn't stay in the boundaries of the game sometimes. That still happens with games with me. And then I did get into some video games very early on. There were RPGs like Bard's Tale back in the day and Might and Magic and, and that kind of transition into Baldur's Gate and the Blizzard games Diablo and Starcraft back when Blizzard was really at its height. I guess that would have been the 90s. And I played D&D a lot depending on where I lived. So that was very formative, and then changed over into other things. Uh, I know you talked about playing games with your sibs. 
There are other things that you played with when you were a kid. We played Clue as well, Monopoly, Sorry, Game of Life. Um, the that's so cool. That's so cute that you mentioned that you would like play make believe with the Clue characters because they're just little like they're just little cardboard cutouts on a little plastic pedestal. The fact that you were able to make those stories with them is really cool. That mansion is evocative, Avery. Just is the first immersive experience. <laughs> yes, Mr. Body's mansion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was always a fan of make-believe too. On the playground with some of my friends, we would always just have storylines of catching a bear, I think. Yeah, my sister and her friends had like this rhyme of like, we're going on a bear hunt, going on oh, a bear yeah. hunt, something like that. And we would just like troop around the, uh, the, the playground and like run from the imaginary bear or fight the imaginary bear or, oh my god, we would also catch Pokemon. <laughs> Oh, nice, nice. Like my siblings and me and my sister, again, like the older sibling that she was, she was always phenomenal at like, she is a, just a great game game master, honestly. Like growing up, she would be like, oh, look, there's a Pikachu. What do you what do you do? And I would just like, yeah, I'm going ham. And and she was like, oh, no, like she would set up these obstacles for us. She would narrate. She would join in. She was a wonderful older sister in that regard. And even though we fought over the, the player one remote control a lot growing up, we still had fun. My siblings and I, we definitely play Nintendo 64, Super Nintendo, Super Smash Brothers, Mario games, the Pokemon games, Donkey Kong. The thing about Donkey Kong was, you know, that's a two-player game where you are, you know, two these two characters and you're just like going through the levels and stuff, but there's only two controllers. And my brother is the third sibling, <laughs> so when he came around, we had to start sharing more oh yeah my sister already started to learn how to share when i came around but then i had to learn how to share with somebody younger than me too what like the whole the whole situation was was added to there were a lot of times where we would just like hit each other with the remote controls we would like rage quit and we would argue like oh give me more time or when we got really petty we would set a timer and be like okay you played for 15 minutes now it's my turn to play for 15 minutes and then get mad when nice. your 15 minutes is up stuff like that I also watched a lot of Teen Titans and Sailor Moon, so I had a lot of superhero, magical power, adventure ideas of what I wanted my life to be. Yeah, oh, and then yeah. as for toys, I I was born female, so I was raised on Barbie dolls, My Little Pony, Littlest Pet Shop. I loved them. I had made them do all sorts of things. My I loved when my My Little Pony got like a little wagon cart thing and stuff and my favorite parts my favorite nice. things was when some of the dolls were anatomically accurate like their knees can bend or their neck the horse neck can you know move and stuff and that was all always like mm -hmm. interesting to me did you play any toys growing up? Primarily lego and i loved i loved building and I had kind of this race with my friends about who was going to get a certain Lego set and who was going to build it first. How could we combine sets that we had? Whose Lego 
I have to make sure that I leave the S off, right? Whose Lego bricks were whose, and who did they go home with? Uh, Lego was great, and then I was there for Transformers when they came out, and those were pretty cool. Such a simple concept, right? You turn a robot into something else, and those became story after story after story. Those are the two that really stand out for me, besides sort of costumes and creating little, you know, uh, plays, mini plays with my sister or my cousins, those kinds of things. And then sports. When I was a kid, I was put into soccer for a couple of years, and I... I think I enjoyed it for a little while and then realized that it wasn't really my thing, but I dutifully played soccer for two years because my parents put me in it. And later I tried to get into tennis. I had my grandfather's tennis racket and started playing tennis with that. And it was an old tennis racket, so it was heavy and kind of unwieldy. And so I at some point got a more modern tennis racket and I I liked that. I liked kind of that the ball that flew at me, I didn't have to catch it. I could whack it with something. That was cool. No more like having to catch a football or a baseball or something or a basketball. I could hit the ball and return it and play that for a little while until high school when I got more into music. Mm, yeah. I did a lot of sports growing up too. I did martial arts. I also did tennis for a little bit. Um, I I really clearly remember what it was like to learn how to actually hit the ball with your racket because it looks easy when you have never played it before, right? Like, oh, you just hit it with this giant racket. It'll be fine. But the ball moves in a very specific way and the racket is long it is an extension of yourself and it took it took a while to like actually hit it with the racket because you have like a whole another arm length right like above your arm and then you have to yeah it's there's something yeah it was it was a fun like strength and dexterity exercise thing yeah um, those of you listening avery was demonstrating <laughs> How uh, how how a racket would extend out from a human arm. Yeah. I remember, Avery, I remember so clearly the difference between hitting something with um, like a standard forehand and then a backhand. And how different it was and how you had to situate. And my gosh, this is like teenagerhood. And I remember that bodily feeling very, very strongly. And... Wow, yeah, that just came right back. Mm, yeah. Um, music. Yeah, um, I also grew up playing a piano. My parents, quote-unquote, made me and my siblings attend piano lessons for, like, 10 years, you know, just casually, as a lot of immigrant Asian parents do. Um, and I eventually stopped taking the piano lessons in high school because I wanted to take dance lessons, which I did. I did some ballet. I also did dance in high school too, but um, I've also been like self-taught guitar growing up all the way too. I actually just got an electric guitar last month when I moved here to Illinois. Um, 
Nice, Avery. Yeah, playing music is such a thing. Let's talk about playing music for a hot second. Let's talk about playing music. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. And playing music and singing. Um, And yeah, when I was a kid, my, my first instrument... Besides learning the recorder, oh, the when recorder. I was in elementary school. Remember the recorder? Yeah. That was a cool thing. Was uh, trombone. I inherited a wow, trombone. Wow, you were inheriting a lot of um, things. <laughs> I know, man. I get so... So my dad gave me his trombone because it was the instrument that the family had and it was like we're not going to buy a new instrument you can play what i played and what your uncle chris played so i played trombone now for somebody who is on the shorter side and whose arms are a little bit probably shorter than the standard uh guy's arms working that slide all the way out and holding that thing that was it was a little bit of a challenge. I think that in concert band and jazz band it was easier than in marching band. But Avery, I just learned about have you seen this trend of trombone suicide squads? What? You seen this no, online? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I just I and talk about play. Okay, if you imagine trombone players in a parade. They all have that long slide in front of them, right? So the Suicide Squad folks will do this thing where, and I'm going to try to describe this verbally and create a picture for our listeners here. The trombonist will stand and say everyone's pointing forward with their slide. Then they'll do things like the person next to one certain person will duck down and the person will move their slide to go over the head of the person next to them. Then they'll turn the other direction, and the other person will duck down. So it's almost like it's choreographed, almost dance-like movement, with the fear of being hit by the slide if you don't get choreography exactly correct. So in other words, it's not enough to actually play the trombone now. Now you need to be able to coordinate movement with everyone else in the squad and create these really interesting pictures of music and death-defying stunts. So thankfully, trombone suicide squads were not around when I was a kid, but I played the trombone for eight years. So elementary school, middle school, high school. And then I did the whole self-teaching piano and self-teaching guitar just enough to play some chords and i am learning guitar and electric guitar and i have my first electric guitar as well my my dad just bought me a fender stratocaster like yours so yes so there you go we both have fender stratocasters that we are that we are uh, working on mastering so music was great, and then I I sang in the in my church choir and in some choirs in school. Do you sing, Avery? Did you get into singing? I I did have to sing during elementary school every day, and and I kind of have been doing it on my own ever since. I've always kind of like been a singer uh, in my heart, um, and. 
I, I've done a couple open mics as well, um, where I did like poetry and I, you know, did sing songs on my guitar. Um, I, I really enjoy um, how different it is to practice music by yourself versus with another group. Um, I remember the first time that I joined orchestra was sixth grade. And so up until this point, um, from kindergarten to sixth grade and on, I was taking solo piano lessons with my teacher. But then in sixth grade, I ha I had my family had a violin from my dad. So we were like, all right, cool. Let's just do violin now as well. And just being a, just playing music with a group was really different and it took a lot to get used to because I was like, oh, it's not just me in here. Um, we have to perform as a team um, and and I'm not getting the one-on-one -on -one attention that I got during my piano lessons. Um, and also, I kind of liked it because I had some friends that, that had to spend time with me. Like We had a collective kind of spirit and we had common goals and we were able to play together and learn from each other and try to make something cool. We probably sounded really bad at the end, but we worked really hard and I had to get up really early for those anyway. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea of what is solo versus what is a team and how is a sports team a little different than a theater ensemble or a band? Maybe that's something we can explore, something we can explore somewhere down the line. Should we bring ourselves up to date on what we are playing now? What are you playing now, Avery? Um, so literally this week, I started playing Dave the Diver, which is a video game. Uh, recently came out, basically you are Dave the Diver, and during the day you hunt for fish, and at night you run a sushi restaurant. And it's phenomenal. It's got... Um, like pixel pixelated ish graphics as a style um with a really um serene and immersive ocean atmosphere um and then the time management aspect of the restaurant management which i didn't mention before but growing up flat computer games and flash games totally like i was totally obsessed um there was of course like the the cd games that was like barbie like barbie horse barbie detective barbie veterinarian and like oh Putt yeah freddie fish um and then like flash games that were like restaurant time management ones i get so excited whenever i meet someone else who's really into restaurant time management flash games because they were my obsession growing up like serving customers getting the food out on time um cooking getting that money to upgrade your restaurant so that you can keep you know making oh, yeah. more money like i have actually recently been getting back into uh there was a franchise a computer game franchise called delicious it was like um emily em emily is this like chef who has big dreams and then you just run her restaurant um which is funny because my, my partner actually makes fun of me all the time when I when I talk about restaurant management games because he's like, why do you always work? You're trying. You're supposed to be playing. You and then I have stress dreams about like work and restaurant management. And then he's like, OK, I'm putting you on a timer only 30 minutes a day, which has helped. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but yeah, there's a there's like a mobile game version of that delicious franchise now. So I have um, definitely been playing a little bit of that as well. But I love um 
I love um, RPG games like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, Assassin's Creed, um, Sardu Valley, and also simulations and city building ones like House Flipper. Okay, okay, there's a lot of games that I'm gonna li- <laughs> House Flipper, Car Mechanic Simulator, PC Building Simulator, Power Wash Simulator. I don't know what it is about like doing work as a ga- in a game. But it lights me up. <laughs> like, uh, like the fact that I get to go in and clean a house and house flipper and then redecorate oh, it yeah. to my every desire and like and make money. Like it's it's fun. It is so fun to flip houses. I don't know if I would actually do it in real life, but it's certainly something I don't know. And and strangely educational too. Car mechanic simulator, um, it's basically a game where you are a car mechanic and you just fix cars. I learned a lot about cars through that game, surprisingly. I mean, I don't know. I didn't, like, retain much of it. But, like, I now know certain vocabulary terms within the car. And uh, that was uh, kind of an improvement. Yeah. And then, um, nice. and then another uh, management thing is Overcooked as well. When my siblings and I discovered Overcooked, we were enthralled because it was the perfect thing for our dynamic. We could have up to four controllers connected. We could make chaos. We could work together. Like, my siblings and I, we are a good team by now. After all our childhood mm. years of, like, fighting and arguing over games and competing against each other, we are a team. We will... We will maybe not succeed at every overcooked level, but we will have fun and laugh. And I think that's my favorite part about my siblings is that the three of us know how to laugh and not take things too seriously. We're not over competitive. We don't rage when somebody else wins anymore. We used to. Uh, we don't. We don't flip tables or anything. We're we have good sportsmanship, and Ice. I'm really glad that I have learned that growing up. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? It's such a sibling yeah. thing. I I love that you create that bond through fandoms or through play and just say, you know, all the things that divide us, there are things that connect us to besides being part of the same family. And I will often call my sister if I find something new that's geeky and cool. And do you know that this exists? Or... If she's very into, like, British history, particularly the Tudor era and also the Victorian era, and so I'll talk to her about, I'm learning about Victorian death rituals and Victorian death cults, and let's talk about that. And siblings are great for that. (laughs) So what am I playing right now? Oh, my gosh. Well, I think primarily I play consists of board games and card games. And funnily enough, there's a lot of life simulation in board games and card games also. Um, Agricola is one of the kind of standard board games where you are running a farm. I also just played a game uh, again with my buddy Matthew called Kanban EV, which is managing a an electric car factory assembly line. And so you have to get the car parts, and you also have a supervisor named Sandra who is following you around, and she penalizes you if you are not meeting your goals quickly enough. So all kinds of simulation in board games and card games, too. And 
Hey, which I I just love the idea. Okay, we want to play this in games, but not necessarily go do this in real life. Do I want to actually start a farm in my backyard? <laughs> Probably not. Am I fine putting little square tiles down on my player mat to indicate different gardens? Yes, totally okay with that. Um, so simulation. I, I, I don't, I mean, I wonder where simulation really began. I, I remember when the original SimCity came out, and you were the mayor of a city, and man, that was pretty fantastic. Or Sid Meier's Civilization, just in case being a mayor wasn't <laughs> enough, you could rule an empire, and that was pretty cool. And I love these sort of ways that we rehearse for all kinds of different things in our lives, some of which we will never have happen. There's also a game called Power Grid, where you are attempting to link city to city with different power plants, upgrade your power plants, try not try to be more eco-friendly with your power plants. It's it's wild. There are a lot of a lot of board games and card games that are simulating stuff too. But also, escape rooms are great, and um, I talked about playing guitar. I, I love playing guitar, just singing, both for myself when no one else is watching. That's a great question. What is your authentic, playful self when no one else is watching? How do you play? Really, really fun question. And then a tiny little bit of cosplay and a tiny bit of makeup for stuff. Like Rocky Horror, when Rocky Horror rolls around, or Halloween. So, a little bit of, a little bit of costume. And I, you might be able to file travel under play, or as a playful pursuit. We can probably talk about that later in other episodes. But that's also, that's also something great. Yeah. Why do we do this, Avery? Why do we, why do we play? There's different things for everybody. Um, like earlier when you mentioned when we both bonded over our love for simulation games, I can think of more than several people who would be listening to that and be like, what the heck are they talking about? Simulation games are yeah. ridiculous. Why, I don't I, I don't like those. I like uh, uh, FPSs. I like uh, first-person shooter games. Or I prefer puzzles. I don't really care for storylines. Or I only prefer storylines. Or I only play competitive against other people. I don't get why these losers... <laughs> we're not losers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get why these random people are so excited about power-washing their car in a virtual game. That sounds terrible. And I think that is exactly the point. That is okay. Yeah. We play because there are things that just tickle our brains in certain ways. And... And because we are different people and we want to experience something sensory that focuses our brain in on imaginary circumstances and allows us to perform as someone that we want to be or want to become. We get to try things out and experiment and connect with others and even have shared interests about and where we can, where we run into a coworker at work and that's always that wonderful moment when you and a coworker realize that you are you love the same game 
or you love the same book or you love the same music it's that moment of connection is that that's really an important part of why we play yeah community Mm -hmm. building which has become so much easier now than it was when i was a kid if if i wanted to talk about musical theater because i had just seen Phantom of the Opera at the Amundsen Theater, right, back in the day, back in the 80s. I honestly cannot think of another guy who would have been interested in Phantom of the Opera when I was in my first couple of years of high school. Musical theater was not a big thing back then. I mean, there were big musicals going on, but it wasn't as much in the cultural consciousness, right? So community is so much easier to find now. I think that's wonderful. I think that we we talked about rehearsing, we talked about kind of doing things that you wouldn't get to do in real life, and also just kind of escaping. People use this term all the time, but it's a truthful answer, even though it's kind of an easy answer. Oh, I get to escape from grading papers. I get to escape from uh, going to the grocery store, from checking my bank account to see how much money I have in my bank account right now to see if I can, you know, get that thing that I've been wondering about before I get paid at the end of the month. Escaping and saying, okay, I'm going to be a starship captain or I'm going to be a scrappy little thief going into an inn and seeing who's there and what kind of adventures we can get into. There is something about escape. There's also something about control. There's so much in our lives that's out of our control. So much that we have to roll with the punches. We have to pivot. We have to accept certain things sometimes. And having control over... uh, little sort of spaceships that are going to explore different parts of a planet or having control over a i just played a game called pan am that's about building a tiny little airline so that you can get bought out by pan am and having those tiny little chips that mean that you have millions of dollars but really they're tiny pieces of cardboard <laughs> but oh my goodness avery In the moment you feel like you have millions of dollars, you feel like you are establishing a flight route from Miami to Santiago or something like that. I I love that it gives you that opportunity. Yeah, and it also gives you the opportunity to be out of control, too. That there are always certain parts of it that you can control and that you are in control of, but there's always going to be other players who have the same goals, other players who have different goals, um, other bots, like computer you know, players that are just a computer program playing against you. Um, and then there's even, like, horror games with, like, the jump scares when you make a mistake or something. Like, yeah. the unpredictability of a lot of the circumstances that games and play have for you is also a huge reason of, of what is, well, why we're drawn to it. I love that. The idea of confronting the mm-hmm. chaos. And you step on a roller coaster that you've never been on before, and it takes you where it takes you. You really have no control. The only control you have is, do I sit down and let the bar come down on me, 
Or do I say, no, I'm not going to be in this roller coaster? Or every one of my favorite, favorite things at theme parks is going on a dark ride that I've never been on before. And having that story unfold in front of me and watching the sort of walls swing away and some new diorama come up and just embracing the chaos. For sure. We can call this our outro segment, Avery. Like, I'll share what I hope that people get out of this podcast and why I hope they keep tuning in. I really want to start a conversation about the how and the why of play. And I hope that our listeners can think about their own play, the ways that they play, the things that they love and how they love them. And what it means to them, what it means to others, and maybe we can help make their play a little richer or a little deeper. I don't don't know. Or a little more free or even a little more evolutionary. Who knows? I have a a quote here from Johan Huizinga. I guess we'll... It looks like we're both going to end with a quote, so I love that. Huizinga's quote is, Ritual grew up in sacred play. Poetry was born in play and nourished on play. Music and dancing were pure play. We have to conclude, therefore, that civilization is, in its earliest phases, played. It does not come from play. It arises in and as play never leaves it. Oh, I want to hold on to that Huizinga quote as we go through these episodes and explore various topics. Wonderful quote. I also really hope that our listeners are just inspired to go play and to talk about it with others. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go play, go talk about it, be curious, be playful, and figure out what it is to you. Think about it, be mindful about the way that you play and the ways that you don't, and then talk about it. My ending quote for this episode is brought to you by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in the book Play and Creativity in Psychotherapy. It is not play that leads to the freeing of the mind, but playfulness. Emphasis on the last word. I resonate with this quote in the way that it shows us that play is not a what, but a how. It can be so many things and it can be the way that you do so many things. It can be the attitude that you bring with you wherever you'd like or whenever you need. And it's always in you. Love it. Avery, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And we will move on to putting our next episode together. And thanks to everyone who listened to yeah. episode one. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, we hope that you'll come back and join us for future episodes. Alrighty, see you later. See you later.